My name is Nicholas Nicario, and you're listening to Microphones of Madness. Hey everybody, Microphones of Madness, I'm Rodney, over there Steve, and today we are talking the final part of Black Power, the superhero anthology by Balagun Ojitade as the editor. Uh, before we get started, want to talk about something that's related and hot right now, uh, Black Panther teaser trailer just dropped, uh, I believe it was Friday, early Friday. Um, yeah, I guess. Yeah, I looked at, I watched it a couple times, mainly mainly for the uh, the shots of Wakanda, because I was curious as to what it would look like. It looks, those things, the, that design looks amazing. I watched it ten minutes ago. It's a trailer. <laughs> it does look good. I, I just like like I was saying before. I just can't get behind trailers. Well, it, it's a teaser trailer too. So I mean, you don't really know what's going on. But you know, I think I think it was exciting just to see the the the, the aesthetic they were going to choose to go with it. And they gave him a different suit from uh, Civil War. Yeah, yeah, I didn't even notice that. Yeah, but uh, yeah, that's uh, we'll probably be coming talking about that coming up. I'm gonna go see the movie. Don't get me wrong; I had planned on seeing this movie when I oh, yeah. when I first heard about it, but the trailer's not gonna make or break that for me. Yeah, well, this probably be uh, as important as Wonder Woman was is. And, you know, I, my big complaint with Marvel Studios are, like, their major ones. Like, the, the big, you know, the big Avenger ones. Mm-hmm. I, I don't like. You know, like, I don't like the Thor movies. I can't stand Iron Man. The Captain America movies were good. That's about it. But, uh, and the Avengers movies were crap. I like their side projects. Like Ant-Man... Doctor Strange and this that tie in, mm-hmm. but aren't part of the main Avengers. Who's he? What's he? The Netflix shows. No, oh yeah. The, well, Netflix shows to me are a different beast altogether. And even though they're like somewhat related plot wise, it's peripheral at best. So it doesn't, doesn't bother me at all. Right. Right on. Right on. All right, well, let's jump back into uh, Black Power. Uh, we're starting with In Need of a Friend by Derek Ferguson. Yeah. Yeah, what did you think of that one, Steve? Man, it's more of that old-school jazz I like. Yeah. It definitely had that, that old-school feeling to it. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it had, it had a little bit of the shadow, a little bit of that... Uh, deputized Batman feel yeah. uh, with a little splash of super soldier thrown in there. Yeah. And, you know, all elements, you know, creating an interesting backstory in kind of a, kind of a tense race against time. Yeah. This one kind of draws you in very quickly. And, and like a lot of these stories have been doing, it's taking classic tropes from comic books and kind of, kind of a, 
altering them enough to make them new. Right. Like, uh, for example, Regency's alter ego and Regency are actual split personality. They're separate personalities. Mm-hmm. I kind of... Kind uh, of with. Yeah, I, I like so that, that idea that uh, Regency and his alter ego were two different people, even inside their own head. Yeah, they, they toy that toy with that concept in, in a lot of Batman related stuff, especially like in the Tim Burton movies. Mm-hmm. But they never really go so far as to say that they're two separate people. It's it's you know, Batman's so compartmentalized that he has the ability to have a Bruce Wayne persona and a Batman persona, but it's one guy. Right. These guys multiple personality. Yeah, it's it's almost kind of like um like the Hulk. Where, where Banner yeah, and the Hulk it, are actually two separate personalities. Right. But one is in a homicidal monster. Well, that's true. Not that, not that the Hulk's always been a homicidal monster, but that's the most popular version of the Hulk. It's a dumb brute. Mm-hmm. And, and it has a little bit of a play on like the broader shadow mythology where you really don't know who the shadow actually is. Right. It's like, oh, he's, you know, you spend so long... Re- thinking he's Lamont Cranston, but then Lamont Cranston turns out to be a totally separate guy that the shadow pretends to be. Right. So, you know, it has that kind of a, that kind of a feel to it. So, so definitely a nice nod to the, uh, the golden age of, uh, pulps and, uh, early superheroes. And, and it was a good story too. Oh yeah. I mean, yeah. It wasn't the, the whole, the whole, uh, plot idea of it taking place in like a single night. Because, mm-hmm. because Regency had to find the kidnapping victim before she succumbed to her illness. Right. And it lent itself to be very procedural. Mm-hmm. Uh, Definitely. Could, I mean, you couldn't tell the story without it being procedural because you'd have no story. Right. But it's, it's, nice to, it's nice to see superheroes following clues, grilling um, contacts, Mm-hmm. As being a detective, and then and then having the big fight at the end. Right, right. Call me crazy, but I, I like that kind of story. It's- well, that's that's kind of like the 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 hallmark of the. I think we mentioned in last episode that at their heart, superhero stories are crime stories. Yeah, I mean that's. I mean, boil it all off, and that's what I love the most about Batman. And that's why I'm so fucking pissed off at modern Batman because he does none of the stuff that made Batman cool to me when I was a kid. Right. Right. And this story nails it perfectly. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely. All right. Next up on the list is Brianna's Interlude by Jeffrey Bolton. What do you think of this one? Um,. At first, I was wasn't really sure what was going on, and then it's like it's three. It's it's almost kind of like a parallel universe kind of thing, kind of a playing with ideas of time and mind. It's definitely more experimental than than other pieces in this in this anthology. You definitely uh, have to 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 take it slowly. Yeah, I, I wouldn't necessarily, you know be quick to label this a superhero story, but it's definitely a piece of weird fiction. 
Yeah, I mean, it's got it's got like elements of um, I wouldn't say time travel, but dimensional shifts. Yeah, multiple realities. Yeah, due to to different choices being made. He says wearing his flash shirt. Um, it, it 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 is hard to get your head wrapped around because there are there are three different realities happening, and one of them, like the bulk of it, of the story, is the it's like a big what if. Mm-hmm. That ends up being resolved. It's almost like you're something's about to happen, and everything flashes in an instant. Like you, your whole life flashes in front of you before your eyes, and that's kind of like what this is. It's the bulk of the story is that flash, that, and then you make your decision: mm-hmm. Are you going to accept that or not? Right. Because that's the best way of going about it without giving it away. Yeah, I mean, in, in this story, given its experimental nature, given the, the strangeness of the tale, you know, you can't you can't really talk about any one part because each part is in its in its own right self-contained. Yeah, it, it's kind of like a triptych. Mm-hmm. Really, because it's three separate stories that when read together blend into um, a whole. I won't say a uh, a, a linear cognizant hole or a linear hole, but they do blend to make one story that is stronger um, due to the interweaving of the three stories than any one part of the story would be on its own. Right, right. You have you have one part. One is rather a rather mundane story, and actually, and, part one, one kind of a gut punch. Yeah, it, it's it's part one is very um, it's it's matter of fact. Mm-hmm. I mean, and and it does explore a little bit of uh, of uh, cops killing black kids. Oh yeah, definitely. Um, and then it takes like a turn at an angle that I don't even know how to calculate because it goes from there to like this mad science story. With like, with angels. Yeah. <laughs> and 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 more action than you can shake a stick at. Yeah, I mean it's like it's got good versus evil. It's got um, religious fanaticism, and the ills of of that, and all sorts of things happening. The rebirth mm-hmm. of a hero. It's wild. Oh yeah, definitely, definitely. Yeah, this is a story that's got to be read to be really appreciated. I mean, you know, no no discussion is going to do it any proper justice. No, and, and to be honest with you, it was one of those stories where the first time I read it, I didn't really know what I read, so I read it again. Hmm. Yeah, so definitely, definitely check this one out. Uh, next up is A Monstrous Journey by Mark P. Steele, featuring the original Arrow. Now, just just in case. Now, Steve will probably confirm this that this this story was really right up my alley. This was like golden age superhero mad science story. 
But what the really Golden Age part of it was. It was Golden it was Age kind of, and Golden Age into early Silver Age, it seemed. Yeah. But I believe it took it, place it, mostly within the within the thirties. Well, well, the backstory definitely. Mm-hmm. And then the main story, but the thing is, like, well, the main story kind of stops. And you have a very detailed account of a mad scientist who is kidnapping homeless people for some crazy eugenic experiment where he's going to create the next master race, the next step in the evolution of humans. Right. And uh, Arrow, being who he is and what he is, um, is the perfect specimen for this. Mm-hmm. So, and you get a very detailed account of that interspersed with uh, what amounts to Arrow's origin story. Right, right. Um, just for folks who are listening, the Arrow was the first costumed comic book hero to appear after Superman, which was in uh, September of 1938. And also the first... But in researching this week. Go ahead. In researching this, we, we, I can come to find out that uh, Superman is not the first superhero ever to appear in comics, as is the most popular um, story narrative that goes on. Ah. But um, it was a, uh, a character from the same company that published Arrow, Centaur Comics, known as The Clock, mm-hmm. which predated Superman by, I want to say, six years. Wow. Maybe it was four years. Yeah, so, hmm. Hmm. I have to look into that. And there's, um, apparently, um, there were only a few Arrow stories ever published. Right, right. There was only a few Arrow stories. Um, Steel reinvents the Arrow, uh, reinterprets him. He is a public domain hero now. Yeah, I think um, he is public domain. I think the clock is public domain, but for some reason, Centaur Comics is owned by Marvel now. Right, right. Who knows how all that works? My cousin, who's an entertainment lawyer. Um, one of the interesting things I found is that you know it has that disclaimer featuring the original Arrow, yet the layout of the story is very similar to uh, Arrow on the CW where we get the main action of the story and then we get the flashbacks to the origin. Right. And it's a, it's, it's a very interesting way to tell a story and it works very well in prose. Well, and, and that's, that's true. And I think, well, he obviously couldn't use the green arrow because that's DC's property. Right. Um, but I think, Another reason why you can use the arrow is he wore a full mask, mm-hmm. gloves, the whole nine yards. And you know how they say anybody can be Spider-Man because he is basically in a bodysuit with a full mask? Right. Arrow is the same way. It's the same thing here. He could be anybody. And the original arrow was not a black man, um, but this arrow certainly is. Right. So the, it's, I think it's another reason why he chose this particular hero because um, you do get a classic established hero kind of established. Mm-hmm. And that could be anybody, and uh, Steel makes him a- anybody. Well, Steel also tends to imply that uh, his arrow actually predates the comics arrow. 
Yes, he does. A little bit that the that the the arrow you see in the comics is actually the guy he passed the mantle down to afterwards. But uh, yeah, I I really enjoyed the story. Uh, the mad scientist. I mean, just the over the top. Not not quite not quite the silver age just wackiness I was looking for when we first started. But still convincing action, uh, great characters. It's just it's just it had it all, and and really, I wish uh, Steel would do a little bit more with this character. No, it's definitely. I've been reading some some old Golden Age DC stuff, uh, All Star Comics, and and uh, more fun and stuff like that. Yeah, and uh, this definitely has that feel to it. It, it ha- there's actually a number of stories where you have a mad scientist kidnapping homeless people. Um, there's that famous Batman versus the Monster Men mm-hmm. story. I think uh, I want to. I know it was recently. Well, recently, within the past 15 years, um, re by, uh, I want to say Mike McNola, but maybe not, where uh, Hugo Strange was kidnapping homeless people, injecting them with the serum. They would go rampaging while he robbed banks. Mm -hmm. I don't know if you remember that story. The story... Yeah, I don't remember that one, but uh, it seems like a typical conceit in Gotham. Use super science to just distract Batman and the police right? while they and, do something stupid like rob a bank. Right, and this was kind of the same thing, using super science to set a trap to capture the arrow from more super science. Right, right, because, you know, somebody at the peak of human physical perfection and and mental fortitude is the perfect basis for your so-called master race. Where I would start. I mean, you know, the poor Arrow was probably drafted to be the uh, heir to a organiz- a society of uh, hired killers. Assassins. At some point. <laughs> I like how uh, Steel incorporates that that classic. Growing up in the circus into his origin story as a, uh, you know, just, it's a very convenient way to have somebody get, like, acrobatic ability. Well, it's, it's not just acrobatic ability. It's, just, it's, it's a whole range of absurd skills that nobody really would have without a, that type of carnival performance right. background. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it was brilliant when they did it with Robin. Mm-hmm. And it's brilliant now. Robin. And, and he kind of subverts that as well. Um, that the carnival owners, uh, one is black, one is Native American. Um, they're gay. And they have to use a front man for all. Yes. Yep. They have to use a series <laughs> of front men to get anything done. Yeah, it's fucking brilliant. It's what it is. Oh, yeah. it's 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 very well conceived. And and it just adds to the uh, the dynamics of the world. Then yeah. we had the the, the poignant moment where uh, the arrow's uh, love interest dies, right? Which yeah, uh, and, you know, that's his his uh, excuse for going to actually start fighting crime. Mm-hmm. 
Right. So you have the tragic origin story. You have the explanation of all the training and and etc. All the various skills. Um, they even include a way for him to get a straight job. Right, and have have access to resources that that normal people would not have. That's right. Which is all all things a superhero requires. Right. And he did it without him being a multi billionaire. That's right. And that's and that's the that's the most um, probably one of the most overused tropes is that your character is mega rich. Yeah. So well, you can explain any any acquirement of skills as being eccentric. Threw money at it, I right? Threw money at it. You know, it's like um, you know the whole thing in uh, Nolan's Batman series where where he comes up with all these stupid um, things to explain away why he requires certain pieces of equipment. You know, like oh, I go uh, rock climbing a lot, and and. Uh, base jumping, things like that, and mm-hmm. he's into extreme sports. So he has an all-black bodysuit with a cape that armor and armor and things like that. And Morgan Freeman's no dummy. No. <laughs> Actually, Morgan Freeman is smarter than uh, the actual Lucius Fox in the comics ever was. Mm-hmm. I know you're telling me. I, I know you're telling me lies, Bruce Wayne. But in the comics, Lucius Fox wasn't his R and D guy. He was the he was the guy who actually ran Wayne Enterprises. Right, right. But yeah, I mean, this story this story has it all. And and Mark, if you're listening, uh, please please uh, revisit this character. Yeah, bring the arrow back so people know about this hero. That's right. That deserves to be known. He's a good character. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, next up is The Superhero's Fatter Cousin by Valerie Poisson. Or, yeah, I'm going to use kind of a Frenchish pronunciation. Poisson. 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 Sorry, Valerie. Well, at least we didn't go Poissant. Now you did. Yeah, that's that's the Boston pronunciation. Um, now this story starts out like we're going to get something from like uh, one of the lamer members of the Legion of Superheroes, or even going as far as the Legion of Substitute Heroes. It's kind of funny because when you were when I was reading the story, I was like, like I should start looking for some Legion of Superheroes stuff. Like the fifty. Oh yeah, definitely. It, this 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 definitely had that kind of uh, that kind of ridiculous, silly vibe going on, um, and it turns out now, that this character was important to the story. Not was not played for laughs. This is your Silver Age story right here. Mm-hmm. It's got like that questionable science that makes sense in in terms of the story, but right. Genetic engineering, genetic engineering, genetic engineering. Wearing a flash shirt, right? <laughs> Sorry, flash was uh, like the biggest offender of, of science. Questionable science. That and Superman. <laughs> he said, he said, flash fact. 
a strand of a, a, a straw of hay will be able to pierce a tree in a hurricane. Okay. If you say so. If that's what, what you want to say, that's, um, I'm 12, I'll, I'll, I'll believe it. Yeah, so what we have is a, a character who describes his superpower as having a super green thumb. But really, his power, he's, he's essentially poison ivy. Yeah, kind of. He, can, he draws um, the life force from plants and has the ability to transfer it to other plants. Mm-hmm. And fungi, apparently. Yes. Correct. But for the purposes of our story, yeah. There you go. Silver Age right there. There you go. Um, um, go ahead. Oh, I was just going to say that, yeah, he's kind of like Poison Ivy or the Floronic Man, mm-hmm. um, but a little bit less versatile. Yes. Um, he does have an interest in uh, biology particularly plants and fungi. It's a hobby of his. So you have the um, boy genius angle. Right. And superheroing runs in his family. Yes. Uh, that, that part was great, too. Uh, his cousin, Kevin, is uh, essentially oh. Superman. Yeah. He's, he's not only Superman, but he's like, he's like the Mary Sue superhero. He's great at everything. And and so you have that kind of uh, that dynamic there that uh, Corey, the hero of this story, is, uh, you know, he thinks himself as being second best because Kevin got all the cool powers. You know, he's got the he's got the looks, he's got the strength and the costume, and he can fly and the mayor you know, has him on speed dial, right? Stuff like that. You know, he's always in the papers. You know, he has his. Yeah. Greetings, cousin. Yeah. He's like, cut the superhero talk, jackass. But it's cool because Corey is, it's a great perspective because Corey is you, Corey is me. Mm-hmm. Corey is everyone but Tom Brady, basically. Right, right. And who likes Tom Brady? That it doesn't live around where I live. Right. Exactly. Zero. Well, Tom Trump likes Tom Brady, but fuck him. Right. So, so yeah, Corey has that kind of uh, that Spider-Man vibe going on. Yeah, he's he's like an, an every person. Hmm. Uh, he's a little he's a little overweight as well. Who is? He? Well, Kevin. Well, yeah. Tom Brady. There's Tom Brady. <laughs> so, so yeah, that that gives him His more. His best uh, friend is this is this girl who by all accounts is like gorgeous except for she's walleye right and and she she studies mma yeah i mean but she sounds like a kick-ass person to know yeah she's a she's a fantastic friend and uh hell she in a in a story and mo and most comic books team-ups have this one particular character and in in where you have you know you had kevin who's super strong super fast you know probably shoots lasers out of his eyes 
And then you have Kevin who has this power of transferring the life force out of plants and Corey. being able to put it back in plants. Right. Corey. And you know, you have you have uh, Keisha who is essentially the badass normal. Right. And and you need her because not only to to be the badass normal, but you need somebody to stop thought balloons. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so you need somebody to bounce ideas off of and to have conversations with so it's not just inner monologue. Right, right. Which happens which happens a lot in a in a first person story. Yeah, well nothing can kill a story like poor inner monologue. Oh yes. Yeah, sometimes inner monologue is great. You posted that Rorschach thing today. Mm-hmm. And that that psycho had some of the best inner monologue. For Alan Moore. For Alan. I mean, you know, whatever. Even Alan Moore writes some good shit. Mm-hmm. Fucking bastard. But, uh... But, yeah. No, there's a lot of... It's, it, takes a, it takes a lot of skill to write a character that has an inner monologue that really lets you um, see the character. Right. Yes. Um, you know, someone like Rorschach, you know, is alone a lot, so he's used to talking to himself. Right. Um, but he's also kind of, but Rorschach's inner monologue was also sections of his journal that was sent out at the end of Watchmen. Right, but but effectively, it's inner monologue, whether it's written down or it actually in his head. Right. And it's him talking to himself, mm-hmm. and he does it really well. And say what you want about Alan Moore. The man can actually, when he wants to, write a good comp. It's just, right. you know, a horrible human being whose ideas are frightening. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, another character that's that's had great inner monologue over the years has been Spider-Man. Uh, yeah. Another one is Batman. Yes. When you're when you're writing and, the detective Batman, you get the inner monologue of his the it's, procedure. It's also easier to do that in a comic book form because you are helped along by the pictures. We've said this before in mm-hmm. discussing this book. Right. That, that, you know, it's not a comic. It's about superheroes. It's about powers, but it's not a comic book. And you cannot approach it as a comic book or it gets hella confusing. Mm-hmm. And doing a lot of the comic book things, uh, Mike in her monologue, um, would detract from it. And I'm glad they had um, this character so she could just have interaction between um, characters. But she's also she's also the, the character that's that's probably the most uh, down to earth, if you will, the character who's actually concerned about the other the safety of the other two superpowered characters. The character right. who is, you know, let me, you know, stop right here. Let me talk some sense into you. Look at this kid. He's not going to last five minutes. Right. You drop him into the, the island of the bad guys. Right. Well, Kevin, Kevin, Super Kevin, mm-hmm. um, you know, he just wants to get the job done because it's a stain on his reputation. Right. I mean, he's ultimately, yes, he wants to stop the bad guys, but he's selfishly, selfishly motivated because it, it, 
it is. It's a stain on his reputation. And you get the feeling that going to his cousin is kind of the last resort. Absolute last resort. Mm -hmm. Yeah, because he doesn't really think his cousin's cut out for the superhero life either. Right. And, And honestly, as it stands, at the beginning of the story, his cousin really isn't cut out for the superhero life. Right. Um, and that's the other thing is Corey wants so much to, to do it well and protect his friend. He doesn't want anybody coming with him and he doesn't know how to fight. Right. He, he thinks he can get by with like a, with a hoe and a, and a pair of shears. A, a spade <laughs> and a, a spade and a rake. Yeah. So that's just not happening. And she really is the only one who can see the entire situation and make it work. Right. Well, Corey has Corey has interesting bits of little dialogue there too. You know, we were talking about the inner monologue and it's like the garden spade and rake would be deadly weapons in in the right hands. Mine are not the right hands. <laughs> You know, and and that 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 made the the character. I mean, there are some laugh out loud moments in this story. Yeah, it it blends the action, the humor, uh, a little bit of tension. Yeah, it's totally a Silver Age story. Oh, I yeah. liked it. Yeah, definitely got some definitely got some camp going on in there too. That there that was the one you were waiting for. That's the one I was waiting for. Although, really, I was expect I really wanted a psychic caterpillar. <laughs> Maybe that would be in the sequel. Oh, good. Hey. Balagun, uh, Black Power Writers, Psychic Caterpillar. There's your earwork. For Black Power 2. You know, <clears throat> Rodney, you can always write a story with Psychic Caterpillar in it. I could. I have, I have faith in your writing abilities and your knowledge of the superhero genre. And, and Psychic Caterpillars. <laughs> that, you're going to go have to ask Alice about. And the final story of the book, uh, Tally Marks by Chris Wiltz. Uh, this one I didn't really find to be that much of a superhero story. It's kind um, of a haunted suit story. Yeah, it, it definitely had a, a great uh, science fiction feel to it. Um, almost kind of a dystopia. Uh, very once, once again, another story very in touch with the times. Yeah, oof. Uh, and also, oh yeah, definitely, definitely, and and I don't want to reveal the end of the story because it is kind of kick in the face. Yeah, it's 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 very bleak. Uh, so you have like uh, these kids buying a super suit, like a mm-hmm. uh, you know military grade assault combat assault, and they decide they're going to go and knock over a crack house wearing the suit. Right. And one kid is is fat, so he can't wear it. So the other skinny kid gets to put it on and do it. He doesn't really want to do it, but he ends up doing it. Because, you know, peer pressure. Mm-hmm. And uh, the suit tells him what to do. Target acquired, bang, bang, bang. It's like playing a video game, but you're not even really playing. You're just kind of animating the suit, which is just all the work for you. Right. And it's also pumping your brain full of uh, endorphins and whatnot. Yeah, so you feel and, great doing it. Right. And, and we have this, this, this trope within the story of 
the addictive effect of power. Right, and and it definitely has like that. You kind of, you know, it's not a ghost story, but right. you know, effectively, it is like the suit is haunted. Mm-hmm. Whether it's haunted by technology or haunted by a spirit, it doesn't matter. Effectively, that suit is haunted and it's taking over this kid. Right. So even to the point where the narration. Uh, once once he goes through the crack house, as he's going through the crack house, it becomes less of I do it and more the suit does it. And it keeps right. becoming the suit does it. The suit does it. And almost like he's kind of he's he's not really shifting blame for his actions. No, it's just his identity is becoming the suit. Right. And that, you know, without the suit, he, he just he won't take it off. Right. No, he never takes it off. He sometimes removes the he- the helmet, right? And so they end up. They, I mean, basically, and they don't go into the details of every one, but they make a good life for themselves, ripping off uh, crackheads mm-hmm. and just going in, killing everybody, and taking their money. Right. I don't tell him where the money comes from, and he doesn't ask. But they are apparently getting piles and piles of money knocking over. Almost effectively being like a combination of RoboCop and the Punisher. RoboCop, honestly, it reminded me a lot of RoboCop. I think RoboCop gets a direct reference, gets a shout out. You might. And this is Detroit. It is Detroit. Yes. But uh, yeah, I mean, it definitely has that RoboCop feel and that that kind of uh, dystopian feel to it as well. Definitely. Definitely. Uh, yeah, and we're definitely not going to spoil the ending because that one, no, no. that one, that one's a little bit of a twist of the knife. It is. And that, that's where you get the weird tail aspect of it. Yes, definitely. Cause yeah, it's got, it's got that science fiction, like, uh, you know, Omni or yeah. Omni, this story would be perfect in Omni. Yeah, yeah. Oh, maybe, maybe even a little uh, Bradbury if Bradbury was into uh, ultraviolence. Yeah. Yep. So it's got that feel to it. Yeah, it definitely has that that kind of that kind of feel. I really, you know, like I said at the beginning, I didn't feel it was like a superhero story, but it does kind of uh, work in a superhero universe. As this is a, this could be a possible potential villain. Or an anti-hero later. It's kind of an right. origin story type of situation. Yeah, it, it, it's definitely a great way to end this book. It, 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 it ends it on like a weird note, which is always great. And mm-hmm. it leaves you wanting more. Because I want to read more of these stories. Oh, definitely. Definitely. Uh, yeah. Absolutely. That's like the lamest thing to say. Because I want to read more of these stories. Well, that's 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 the best book you can get is one that uh, leaves you wanting more. I just wish I could have said it <laughs> better, and I just want to read more of the stories because nothing says comic book or superheroes more than sequels or serial or serials. Not lucky charms, but you know patterns, patterns. absolutely. Uh, but this book is available at uh, Amazon. Yep, you can you can buy it uh, for Kindle. I 
believe there are paperbacks as well. You can get Kindle, you can get physical, either or. And uh, there is a, a game book being tied into the Black Power universe. There is. How, uh, how fucking prophetic are we? Yeah, absolutely. So kind of a kind of a choose your own adventure style book, I believe it is. Yes, yeah, with uh, using the card mechanic uh, uh, from Key Conga. I'm assuming that it's the same mechanic as in Key Conga, um, um, which is like blackjack. Right. So yeah, uh, as soon as I, I as soon as I I get enough liquid funds, and <laughs> and it's yeah, it's also it's also a, a game book that's uh, young adult. Yes. So so well, I have kids, so we're you know, expanding justified. Oh yeah, absolutely. But this book, um, this anthology is geared more toward adults. Yes, this is definitely um, not a a a kid friendly book. Right. So uh, so Baldwin is violence. expanding. Into, lots of violence. Uh, lots of bad words. Yeah, occasionally there's some some f bombs. Yeah, but overall, it's a fantastic book. You should really check it out. Yeah, it's it's funny because well, it's not funny, but uh, a lot of anthologies are hit and miss, and a lot of publishers are hit and miss mm-hmm. with what they put out. You can have the same editors put out two different um, two different books at the same time, and they're completely different. Mm-hmm. And um, so far, with, with editors like uh, Ojitade, editors like Milton Davis, even writers like Ojitade, writers like Milton Davis, you get so much consistency. It's crazy. And these guys are so busy. I mean, they put out, they put out a lot of shit. And, and I mean that, I don't mean like crap. I mean, they Stop. put out a lot of material. Oh, yeah. And, and it's consistently good. Yeah, absolutely. So, uh, I can't. I mean, I sound like I sound like what I despise—an ad man. But I can't get enough of this, of uh, of these books because they're so good. They're engaging. Um, yeah, they're well written. I mean, that's like three quarters of the battle right there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there were some. There so, were a couple of stories that were kind of a miss for us, but you know. But nothing was poorly written. No, absolutely not. No, you know, taste is taste, and you can't do anything about that. You like what you like. And, yeah, you can appreciate stuff that you don't like, or hopefully you can. <laughs> but it also, but it, it's, if it's not well written, it's not worth reading. Correct. And this, like any other project that Balagun has been involved in, is very readable. Uh, yeah, so high hats quality. Hats off to the editing. Yep. And yeah, let's uh, let's have a sequel, guys. Yeah. So once again, you can get this at Amazon. Uh, link will be in the description of the video. And that's about all we have for today. So, uh, yeah, if you like like what you hear on Microphones of Madness, whether it's uh, these book discussions or the actual play podcasts, uh, please like, 
share with your friends, subscribe, uh, give us some stars on uh, iTunes or Google yeah. Play, whatever your uh, drug of choice is for that. Don't make us go all Patreon on your ass. That's right. That's right. Um, that makes no sense. Yeah, you're right. But uh, yeah, we'll see you guys next time. Um, until then, say goodnight, Gracie. Good night, Gracie.